Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guests today are ESPN's Jeremy Schapp about his new E60 investigative episode, Qatar's World Cup, and then former New York City coach Dominic Torren. Before we get going, you can sign up free or paid for a subscription to my writing site at grantwall.com. We are less than one month away from World Cup 2022, so sign up now. That's grantwall.com. Now, here's my interview with Jeremy Schaap. Our guest now is the longtime ESPN reporter, Jeremy Schaap. His ESPN E60 episode, Qatar's World Cup, on the controversy surrounding the selection of Qatar to host the upcoming World Cup, debuts this Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, produced and directed by Max Brodsky. It will be available for on-demand streaming on ESPN+. Plus. After the initial airing, I have seen it. It's extremely well done. Congratulations, Jeremy, and thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Grant, and thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, it means a lot. I know you've been following this story for a very long time as well, and um, yeah, I, I, I'm 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 really appreciative that we have a chance here to talk about it to your audience. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, this is a sprawling and fearless piece of reporting shot in several different countries, including Qatar. How did you and the people who produced this episode want to approach putting this together? Well, you know, we did a story eight years ago about uh, specifically um, the issue of uh, who was going to build the World Cup, who was going to make this project possible in Qatar in 2022, talking about, as you know, a small country with just a few hundred thousand citizens, 90% of the population is foreign workers, and it was going to take a remarkable amount of work, something really spectacular to build everything that was necessary to make this World Cup possible. And um, you know, we did a, a show, we did an E60 piece in 2014 focusing on the plight of these foreign workers. And then... Over you know the last half decade, as the World Cup was getting closer and closer, we always had the intention of going back to see uh, the conditions now, to see what has changed, to do an update on the story, um, it, because you know it, it, it um, that issue became a big issue globally uh, in the sports dialogue and beyond. And there were a lot of journalists who did uh, reporting on it. There were a lot of human rights organizations focused on it. Advocacy groups, pressure brought to bear on Qatar. And uh, it seemed natural that we would want to go back and examine the issue again. And this show does examine the issue again. And as you know, since you saw it, that is the primary focus but it also goes to the backstory of how Qatar got the World Cup in the first place. Yeah, a lot of my readers and listeners are going to either watch the World Cup in Qatar or go to the World Cup there. Mm. And part of what I think they want to know is what has Qatar done since getting the World Cup hosting rights in 2010 to improve the conditions of migrant workers there? And has Qatar done enough? How would you answer that question? Well, that's the big question, right? I mean, those are the big questions. And that's what we, you know, um, 
endeavored to answer those questions with this with this show. And it's complicated, right? I mean, I, I think um, what we can say, Grant, is that things have improved, especially in the last five years after Qatar and the International Labor Organization, the ILO, the arm of the United Nations that deals with workers' rights, came to an agreement uh, creating a new framework for workers' rights in Qatar. And that happened after the International Trade Union Confederation um, put a lot of pressure on, on Qatar, working with the ILO to bring Qatar to the table to see these changes take effect. And there have been changes in terms of um, what we call the kafala system. The kafala system, as I'm sure many in your audience know, uh, is the sponsorship system. That's what they call it that exists in certain Gulf states, several Gulf states, also in Jordan and Lebanon for foreign workers, tying workers who come from other countries to their employers. And this was an issue we explored back in 2014, I think at some depth. Uh, and part of it, you know, is, you know, your employer kept your passport. You couldn't change jobs freely. Um, you know, you, you, there were limited ways in which workers could bring uh, complaints against employers, etc. cetera. Uh, some of the things that have changed, they describe it, human rights activists, uh, people on the ground, advocates, uh, as a dismantling of the kafala system. And, and semantically, you could say, well, there's still kafala, there isn't still kafala. But what has happened is that um, some of those things that were in place are no longer in place, such as you know your employer getting your passport. Your employer is not supposed to be able now to prevent you from changing jobs. Uh, you're supposed to be able to leave the country when you want to leave the country, regardless of what your employer says. Uh, there has been a minimum wage that has been put into effect in Qatar, a very, uh, you know, minimum wage that essentially amounts to about $275 a month plus money for room and board. Um, so there have been these changes. The issue has been from the moment that they were announced, the issues have been about implementation, about enforcement, and that's a more complicated story. I mean, what's really struck me in my own reporting, including this year from Qatar, is that some of these union leaders, global trade union leaders, have kind of done a 180 about Qatar in the last eight years or so. And that includes Sharon Burrow, who yeah. both you and I interviewed eight years ago yeah. when she was saying stuff like Qatar was a slave state and shouldn't host the World Cup. And now... When you and I interview her, she's working with the Qatari government and saying very positive things about them. But that's still in contrast to people you and I have spoken to at human rights groups about the situation today right. on the ground for workers in Qatar. And I'm wondering, what do you make of this near 180 by the union leaders? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a very striking uh, element of this story and the story of how things have changed, have evolved in Qatar, what has changed, what is not, which we keep coming back to. And you, you mentioned Sharon Burrow, and she was the most outspoken, the most vocal critic of 
Qatar and the Kafala system uh, as the head of the International Trade Union Confederation, representing hundreds of millions of workers around the globe. And she, I would argue more than anyone else, right, raised the alarms about what was going on and what the human cost of the 2022 World Cup was going to be if change didn't come. And and then, well, as we just mentioned, you know, the ILO, uh, you know, uh, reached these agreements with Qatar. And um, since then, the ITUC under Sharon Burrow, uh, you know, they, they have said uh, that they are pleased with the reforms. And, and then, as you said, there are other people, important people in the community who have been dissatisfied with the extent of the reforms. You know, whether you're talking about uh, Nicholas McGeehan, who's one of the leading researchers on Qatar, people from Human Rights Watch, where um, uh, he used to work. And I, I, I think it's Fair Square is uh, the organization that he runs now. Um, you know, Amnesty. And, and if you read the reports from the most prominent human rights organizations in the world, Grant, what they say is there has been change. There has been change. I, I, I think the exact wording maybe in the most recent Amnesty International report is life has improved. Work conditions have improved for the 2 million plus migrant workers in Qatar, but it hasn't gone far enough. There is still, um, there are still too many ways in which they are not able to address their grievances. Although there are these labor courts and there's a fund set up uh, to compensate those who aren't being um, compensated properly when pay is withheld, et cetera. And, and then, you know, there are the questions as well about um, working conditions and what the law says and what happens in fact. Uh, you know, we spoke to Max Tunian, who is the head of the ILO office in Doha, um, you know, and you go into their office, Doha, and they've got, you know, a lot of literature about um, the the ways in which workers are now supposed to be protected from the extreme heat in Doha. And, and you know, these, these laws have been put in place and, um, and it's still a hard place to work. These are still very tough conditions. Um, so it's, it's this push and pull between the law and enforcement between, you know, improved conditions and the scrutiny in particular of workers who are directly working on World Cup projects and those who are not. You know, there are there are these different cohorts, right? And, um, you know, if, if you're working, um, you know, on specifically a World Cup project and, uh, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny of that, it's under the microscope, it might be different from if you're a foreign worker in Qatar working in something unrelated to the World Cup, if you're in the natural gas industry. Uh, so, you know, it's not, as you know, these things are complex. I think what it comes down to, you know, there's some big issues still. These foreign workers don't have the right to form unions, um, basically. Um, they, you know, the, the right to unionize, um, is something that, that, you know, is, is still not available for most workers. Um, the way that, uh, employers 
you know, we, people have told us employers have retaliated against workers who protest the conditions in which they're working or when their pay is withheld, you know, what happens there. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a tough life, right, Grant? Like, I, I mean, you know, think about what these, you know, millions of workers have sacrificed to build better lives for their families, wherever they come from, South Asia, Africa, Southeast Asia. Uh, and it's not just the workers, right, uh, working on World Cup projects, but all the thousands of domestic workers, primarily women from the Philippines. And, you know, I think, you know, the point has always been, right, you know, the world should know how difficult it is for these people. The lives... Um, in the work conditions, what it's like for them. And, uh, you know, Qatar is one of the richest countries in the world. Qatar, uh, by some measures, you know, by almost any measure, it's one of the richest countries in the world. And the idea has always been that they can do better by these workers. When I went to Qatar in February to speak to migrant workers, I was glad that I didn't have video cameras with me because... It, it made the workers more comfortable to speak with sure. me. How difficult was it for you to go to Qatar with cameras and a crew and interview migrant workers who could be in danger for speaking honestly to you? Yeah, you know, it, and it got tougher this time. You know, last time when we went eight years ago, we were able pretty much to just kind of walk into a labor camp unannounced and to do some... Uh, spot interviews. Um, you know, we, we were able to interview people who did conceal their identities on camera. Um, we were able to speak to people, uh, um, you know, on the Corniche there, you know, the waterfront area that's going to be a big central meeting place. Uh, and, and, you know, we spoke to workers, now, to what extent they feel comfortable talking on camera, all that, you know, who said, hey, I, I'm happy here. You know, I made this choice and, and um, you know, I'm making money and I'm able to send it back home. This is why I came here. Um, and, you know, frankly, you know, the extent to which anytime you do man on the street, woman on the street interviews, that they are representative of a larger reality, you know, that's always difficult to, um, to determine. But, but um, anecdotally, you know, we, we, we met more people this time who said their situation is better. Yeah. Um, and that corresponds with, you know, what you would expect. Um, there have been changes. It, it, it's about, it's about, um, it's about respecting the dignity of these workers, about honoring um, uh, the language of the law now, about enforcement, about consequences for bad actors among employers who don't treat them well. And those are the issues, as you know, that we really try to explore here and to, and to uh, untangle. Now, for your episode, ESPN went to speak to workers' families in Bangladesh and Nepal. How do you find these families? Well, in Nepal, Nepal was in 2014. This mm -hmm. time, the families we spoke to were, were in Bangladesh. And we work specifically with a, a freelance journalist in Bangladesh who has been working on these issues with other news organizations for many years, um, who was able to identify for us and confirm 
who these families are, who these workers are, and then help us on the ground arrange interviews with these people, which I conducted from where I'm sitting right now (laughs) in my home. Uh, Last time, you know, we physically went, uh, I didn't go to Nepal, our producer director uh, eight years ago, Bian Gim, she went to Nepal, she spoke to people in Nepal. This time, you know, we had a crew with our interview subjects in Bangladesh, but I was I was sitting here in Connecticut doing these interviews, and uh, uh, that's another interesting way in which the world has changed in the last eight years. Most definitely, I get this question a fair amount. Would ESPN have done investigative reporting like this on Qatar if ESPN were still the U.S. English language World mm. Cup rights holder and not Fox Sports? Well, my answer to that is yes, and I believe that, you know, um, you know, to the core of my being, I mean, all you have to do is look at ESPN and the rights that we do have and the way that we cover the leagues that we do own rights to, whether it's the NFL or NBA or NHL. And you know, Grant, if you talk to people in those leagues, for instance, they are often quite displeased with uh, the journalism that we do at ESPN. I mean, you know, I, 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 you know, I host Outside the Lines now, and you know, we. How many, um, how many segments have we done in the last year and a half about issues with the Washington Commanders? How many segments have we done about the cases against Deshaun Watson? How, I, I mean. Um, Look at the reporting um, from so many of my colleagues, you know, like Don Van Natta and um, and Seth Wickersham and Tisha Thompson on the NFL, uh, from my colleagues Mark Schlebaugh and Paula Levine on uh, on college football, you know, which of course we have relationships with. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not exactly the same thing, but you know, when we had. Uh, uh, what was we had 2014 we had 20 we basically had everything up through 2014 right you know we went to south africa i think one of the most powerful stories we we've ever done was about um was about anti-lesbian violence in south africa uh on with soccer players rape with soccer yeah. players and um you know that's that's not <laughs> that's a tough story and those were some of the you know um uh toughest interviews in terms of the emotions and what we were asking people to share with us that I've ever been a part of. And that that was our big story, frankly, investigative journalism story leading up to the South African World Cup. Was it specifically, I say it's a little bit different because it's not about the South African government per se, right? It's about violence uh, perpetrated by private individuals. But I, I don't, I just don't think we shy away from tough reporting. Which leads to my last question here. It's it's not exactly about Qatar. It's more about FIFA. Mm. And that question is, you've covered this story for quite a while over the years. Has yeah. FIFA changed, in your opinion, after the U.S. Department of Justice investigation? Is today's FIFA any different than Seth Blatter's FIFA, in your opinion? That's a very good question, Grant. And, and as you know, we did uh, you know a big kind of um, expose on FIFA and, and uh, you know, with all the accusations of vote 
uh, buying and um, all the the shenanigans behind the presidential elections, all, all of that stuff back in 2015. And um, of course, Blatter was at that point forced out after having been reelected. I kind of you probably remember better than I do the exact sequence of events and. Then there are all the arrests, you know, uh, Sam Borden at the Bower Lock in beautiful Zurich uh, and all of the trials uh, and all of the plea bargains and all of that stuff, cleaning house. But I'll tell you the truth. I just haven't covered FIFA as closely the last few years as I did at that time. Um, you know, I, I, I guess most of us in this business are fairly cynical in nature. If you told me, I guess that's not really fair to say. <laughs> uh, let me put it this way. Having not spent as much time concentrating on FIFA, look, I, I could talk about them in the context of some specific things like Qatar, like the fact that they won't even respond essentially when people say we should create a compensation fund for the workers who have made this event possible where you're going to make a $3.4 billion profit. And they're like, well, you know, what do they say? What do they say, Grant? They, they don't say anything, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I guess we need, uh, more, more of an Infantino. And I was at the election where he won back in, uh, I guess that was January 16. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair answer. I mean, I, I to don't totally know either. What I would say from what I do know is I interviewed Infantino around that election back in 2016 and he seemed different a bit from Bladder, but he sort of used the set Bladder playbook to consolidate his power, which is basically give as much money as possible to every national right. soccer association in the world, especially the smaller ones, and, right. and turn that into votes, and he's likely to win another term later this year. I guess we haven't seen another sting operation of arrests <laughs> since he no. took over, <laughs> quite like the right. dramatic one that the but, U.S. But, Department of Justice but, did. Right. But by the way, there wasn't one for the first 20 years of the Sepp Blatter reign either, right? 17 years, right? I Look, that, that, that's, I don't know. I mean, Johnny Infantino, you know, is someone who comes from the world of FIFA, though. I mean, I know it was technically UEFA, but he comes right. from that world. Um, and and I, I'm just not qualified to answer the question. I don't want to... Um, cast dispersions. Um, but, you know, when I think of FIFA still, um, I think there's still some problematic things going on. Yeah. They have, uh, after this World Cup, they will have gotten through the Russia World Cup and the Qatar World Cup, and then they will have uh, the shared North American World Cup in 26. Right. And they, they tend not to... And I'm not saying there won't be anything to investigate around that, by the way, either. Maybe there will be. Um, right. they, they've picked generally non less problematic countries to host women's world cups it seems like mm. but uh uh very curious well, look I, I mean when you think about infantino though i am thinking about you know what he said a few months ago right about the laborers in qatar he had that moment what what did, what did he say something about you know well i think they're proud of the work that they've done kind of deflecting yeah. questions about the human cost and and i would say he's right i think they are proud of the work they've done that's not the point when we're talking about FIFA and its responsibility to them. Right. And, and one last thing that I, I yeah. want to emphasize, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm running on at the mouth here. No, go ahead. Um, but 
Yeah, I just think it's important to remember, and I think you know this too, right? When you're there and you meet these workers and you see the conditions in which they live and they work, that these guys, and I don't think I really processed this last time I was there, this is heroic. You know, you are sacrificing. You are living in these conditions. You're making this choice. You're working in these temperatures because you want to help your family. And you're going away for years, sometimes many, many years away from them, giving all of that up, giving up your home, giving up your family so that you can make their lives better, provide for them, send your kids to school, feed your family. And they deserve to be treated humanely. That's what we're talking about. Jeremy Shapps, ESPN E60 episode, Qatar's World Cup on the controversy surrounding the selection of Qatar to host the upcoming World Cup. Debuts this Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. It will be available for on-demand streaming on ESPN Plus after the initial airing. Jeremy, thank you. Thank you, Grant. Now, here's my interview with Dominic Turin. Our guest now is an old friend. Dominic Turan coached New York City for two seasons after spending 11 years with Pep Guardiola at Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and Manchester City. After NYCFC, he coached Flamengo and Galatasaray. Dome, it's great to speak to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Good to see you again. <laughs> yeah. No, most definitely. You're back in the United States this week on the West Coast. Uh, you are at the LAFC victory against Austin in the playoffs yesterday. What brings you to the United States? The first one is because, the reason why is because uh, always is a great pleasure for me to come back in the United States. Uh, the first one. The second one, I'm interested always in the MLS, what happened in the MLS. And uh, I never discard to, to return to, to work in the MLS. That is the reason why last, last year, remember, uh, I was here the towards uh, the, some games the uh, New City in the playoff. And this year in, in LA, yesterday, uh, I was the game and uh, the final uh, in, in, in three or four days uh, again, because you have to, to be uh, aware of uh, what happened in the, in the world. Yeah? And, uh, and uh, the last one is because the MLS for me is growing up, 100% growing up. Uh, in the you know in four years is the World Cup here in United States, and uh, I'm very interested uh, about about the competition because I I was very very happy when uh, we work in in New York City in the MLS and that is the reason why and, and another reason is maybe uh, I have a lot of uh, friends here in United States. Yeah. Now, I remember how much you enjoyed living in New York, and your teams were good. You had a successful tenure at New York City, two seasons, got to the playoffs both times, had 64 points in 2019, and set them up pretty well to win the title the year after. How would you describe your experience in Major League Soccer when you were here? It was amazing. Uh, we had a good, good team, a good atmosphere in the during this, this period in, in New York. And uh, I remember a lot, for example, right now, uh, Tati Castellanos play for my team, Girona, you know? I yes. Love Girona. I'm very happy for, for him, but uh, I remember a lot of players uh, with quality. Uh, I was very happy with my wife in, in New York. A great experience for, uh, for us, for my staff, for me. And... Uh, 
I don't know when I talk about the MLS with my colleagues, with even with Pep, I say a great experience, and I never discard to to come back here to to work again in the MLS because I was very very happy. There are, I mean, right now there's some openings uh, in MLS. You look at Columbus is one. They won the title a couple of years ago. Um, we may potentially see other coach openings coming. So, are you saying you'd be interested in in those? openings yeah but i'm not here i'm not here just for 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 that i'm here because i love the soccer i love soccer the the first one and uh it's the amazing amazing competition because last year new city uh, was a champions uh, two years ago columbus and uh, everything can change in in one year in, in the mls it's very interesting it's not about the league for example it's about barcelona real madrid or you know, and the Bundesliga is almost 90% by emotion, no, by money. Uh, it's very interesting because it's a, uh, it's a good competition. If you want to improve, uh, even like, like a coach, uh, is, is important. And uh, what happened with the, you know, uh, I'm not here because sometimes the people, when you are here, thinking about, oh, Dom is here, or this coach is here because... Uh, he want to work uh, in this year uh, one team. I respect a lot the ref of the coaches, and uh, for me the most important thing is uh, you have to be ready in case you have a chance to come back here in the MLS. In in fact, in in my house I, I have the possibility to watch the games in TV TV games, and and I think I I know several teams in in. In MLS, you have a fascinating career because you've you have worked in different countries in different continents. Um, you coached Flamengo in Brazil, which probably is the best supported team in in Brazil. Even though I guess Corinthians people would disagree, but still huge team in Brazil. You coached Galatasaray in Turkey, which is some of the most passionate fans in the world. What were those experiences like? No, it's, it's uh, always is a good experience, always. Uh, but uh, the mentality is uh, totally different in uh, United States, for example, because if you want to build uh, one style, it's almost impossible. Uh, you have to get results in in two in two games uh, during two games. If not, you are in trouble in these kind of countries. No, the passion is. Uh, uh, the, the fans is amazing, but sometimes it's good, sometimes not, because uh, if you want to convince uh, the, the club, uh, you have to change a little bit some things if you want to improve. It's almost impossible be because it's about the... Uh, you don't have time uh, to show uh, what is the best uh, way to, to play in, in the other countries. It's totally different here in the United States. Uh, you are comfortable uh, as a coach because you can convince the club uh, if you want to build uh, an, one clearer style for the club. For example, that happened last year with me in New City. Uh, I think uh, we we could play in the way we want to play. You know, uh, short passes, uh, high pressing. That is uh, one clear style, no? but you need time. In the United States, it's possible to do that. In the other countries, especially, you know, Brazil or, uh, uh, 
or Turkey uh, is, is almost impossible. It's, it's about this, uh, you have, to, you have to, to win the next game. And after that, the next game. It's, it's so fascinating to me because I, I want to put this the right way because I have so much respect for the football cultures of Brazil and Turkey, which are incredible and the atmosphere at games is incredible. But I'm always told that it's better there. But the fact is, kind of what you're saying, that it makes it difficult when you're worried about that week's result to actually do something over a long period of time. And I also would guess that if you're the head coach of Flamengo or Galatasaray, it might be difficult for you even to walk in the street in a way that you could when you were the head coach of New York City. That's correct. It's not easy to walk in the street uh, during the season in Brazil, in Turkey. You know, even when you are able to, to win, or uh, you cannot imagine what happened when you lost the game, you know. <laughs> uh, in New York was, was amazing. That is one of the reasons why I, I, I was very happy in New York City. Uh, uh, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can leave, you know, in New York after the, the training session, after the, the, the games. You can enjoy uh, your life in New York. I, I remember because uh, I play, for example, I play the saxophone, you know. And I like the, the, the jazz, the, the blues, in general, the music in general. I spent many times, I spent many, many times in the basketball. Uh, you know, it's, it's another life. Uh, it's, this is impossible in, in, in Brazil, in, in Turkey. It's, all, it's totally impossible. It's another mentality. Better, I don't know what, but uh, totally different. But uh, if you want to, to, to live, after the the soccer, better is 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 to work in the United States, for example. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, in you spent eleven seasons with Pep Guardiola. You won twenty four trophies. What, in your opinion, makes Pep so special as a coach? Pep is another level. Uh, it's always the, the next step for Pep is easy. You know, to get the next step. Always, uh, he's thinking about how uh, he can improve the team, the team, uh, and, and even the players now. And uh, in the rest of the world right now, uh, the style is very similar with Pep Guardiola in the MLS as well. Uh, every single team, for example, uh, like to 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 play uh, good build-up, for example. Uh, high pressing uh, or react quickly after when you lose the ball. That is the style of Pep Guardiola. But when you think, I know exactly how Pep play, he changed. Every single, every single day, he's thinking about, I have to play a little bit different because, for example, Liverpool know exactly, or Tottenham know exactly how Man City play. And this is Pep. Always is... Uh, try to improve himself, even himself, as a coach. Uh, he's a special. Uh, he creates something special in, in soccer. Uh, in fact, I think when he decided to retire, the people, the people recognize how important was Pep in soccer. I hope they recognize that now, but I... I, I also hope that they recognize it when he does retire and i hope he doesn't retire soon like 
have you talked to him about coaching in the United States? Um, and do you know if he ever would have any interest, whether it's a club or national team? Why not? <laughs> you, never, you never know. Pep is a special. Even Pep like a lot uh, to live in 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 United States because uh, he recommend me uh, to work in New City because you know he he was living in one year in, in yeah. New City and he loved United States because he talked a lot with him about uh, not just uh, about soccer about life in general. And uh, I have uh, he has a lot of respect for the for the United States. You never you never know what will happen with with Pep because in in one second he can change the the idea. For example, sometimes he told me, "Oh, I want to retire in a couple couple years, five years ago." <laughs> <laughs> and, and right now I know he's very happy in, in Man City. But everybody knows that it's interesting to to get a national team in, in the future, no? Because I think he wants to to try to to play the once uh, World Cup, for example. No? Mm -hmm. I don't know what will happen with Pep. Uh, I speak with him uh, uh, once uh, a month, for example. But uh, sometimes. Uh, we we don't speak uh, we we don't speak about football about soccer huh? yeah about the family about the future but uh, but this is Pep but I don't discard to Pep uh, get uh, quickly a, a national team in a couple years or three years interesting I I want to ask you because you watch football as you said in so many places these days different continents different countries. Which teams right now in the world are the most interesting to you from a tactical perspective? Man City, Man City, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, for example, the Bayern München changed a little bit respect uh, three years ago, and I think he play a little bit similar to Liverpool, the Jurgen Klopp, right mm -hmm. now. Uh, Tottenham play really well with with Antonio Conte. Play five in the back, for example, but uh, they have a, a clear style to to play. Uh, and uh, I like, uh, for example, uh, Real Sociedad is, mm -hmm. uh, is is not a big big team in in, in Spain, but for me, is in my style and uh, my opinion, he play really really well. And uh, there are a lot of teams in, in, in Napoli play really yeah. well. Napoli play right now really well. Always uh, exist a lot of teams uh, to play to play in the clear style. The, for me, the, the most important thing is when you have clear, uh, if you like to play five in the back, this style, long ball, long ball. If you want, if you like to play long ball, play long ball. If you if you want to use the concert time, use the concert time. If you if you want to play positional like Pep Guardiola or Barcelona or these kind of uh, uh, clubs like Real Sociedad right now, play in this style. The most important thing you have to feel. You have to feel that this is important for me as a coach. If you feel that you can play in this style. If you if you don't feel that, it's impossible to play like uh, Man City or like uh, or. Pep Guardiola's times. Forget about it. You have to feel that. 
in in this moment i feel that that is the reason why i i try to play in the same style uh, with new york city when uh, uh we were here it's been a few months since you left galatasaray right? when you go a few months without coaching do you miss it on a day-to-day -day basis always always uh, because uh, when you love uh, the soccer uh, the first two three months it's okay after that uh, you are interested to training again in fact uh, uh, we had because not uh, just me uh, me and my staff we had uh, some uh, even in Europe some uh, offers to to take another team but I thought it was not uh, the right time for for me I, I need to rest a little bit two or three months to you know uh, to to work again in another team where i don't know i'm interesting to training again in Un united states maybe uh, i'm interesting uh, i'm interested to 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 work again here in europe okay it's good because uh, i know uh, several leagues in in europe uh, even in the you know in japan i had a lot of offers to to to, to work again but uh, step by step, I say we have time. Uh, we need to rest because after the Galatasaray was not easy. Because when we arrived in the in Galatasaray was not not easy for us. Because uh, in, in for example, the, the clear example in this moment, uh, they have uh, 18, 18, not eight, eighteen new players wow. in Galatasaray. <laughs> uh, when that happen uh, you can understand how difficult for uh, uh, for us to work uh, for Galatasaray sometimes I talk with my colleagues and say uh, even when we draw the game against Barcelona uh, with these players say <laughs> uh, was not easy for us we, we draw the game in, and I think we, we compete really well against uh, one of the top teams in, in the world in that moment Galatasaray changed uh, a lot. They have a new president. They have 18 new players. And uh, after Galatasaray, believe me, we need to rest a little bit. <laughs> Fair enough. Dominic Tarant coached New York City for two seasons. After spending 11 years with Pep Guardiola at Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and Manchester City, he's also coached Flamengo and Galatasaray. Dome, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you to you. A uh, great pleasure for me. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Jeremy Schapp and Dominic Turen, as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.